the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back as we head into Hour 3. It's a delight and privilege to welcome back the Attorney General for the state, a great state of Arizona, Mark Burnovich. Introduce him by saying this. Uh, James Madison in the Federalist Papers talked about the reliance on the people and uh, good men in government, but that that would not be enough. There is a necessity for what are known as auxiliary precautions and institutions to help the people when their government becomes too tyrannical. Mark Burnovich is the tip of that spear when it comes to the state's attorneys general, and we're delighted he's ours, and we're delighted he's with us. Mark Burnovich, welcome back. Thanks, Seth. And as Madison went further to say, if men were angels, government would not be necessary. Right. Right. Exactly right. And uh, we should I would like to you know what would be fun someday if Daniel approves is to have you come in for an hour and let's do a class for the audience on the Federalist Papers. Wouldn't that be a great fun? That would be a lot of fun. We should do that. I don't know if it's fun for you or not. I know it's your duty and you're exercising it well, but you filed a new lawsuit against the Biden administration and I'm glad that you did. This one has to go. This one goes towards protecting Arizona's uh, ability to maintain their own state tax policy, <laughs> of all things. Would yeah. you mind telling us what this is yeah. about, sir? Well, Seth, the uh, the kind of amazing thing is, you know, we're so used to really bad, dumb ideas coming out of Washington D.C. And as you know, we're involved in several lawsuits now related to immigration and, you know cost-benefit rules the Biden administration's implementing. And so this is the latest one. Every time you think they can't, the D.C. can't do something stupider, they do. So as I'm sure your listeners know, there was a huge uh, COVID-19 bill that was passed. Um, There's a lot of things in that bill that have nothing to do with helping out businesses or individuals affected by COVID, but instead are, you know, a big power grab and, you know, a boondoggle. And let me just give one example. This this is the bill about which U.S. Senator John Kennedy said this is as much a COVID bill as it is true to say the stripper likes you. (laughs) Well, in Louisiana, I guess they spent a lot of time. Yes, yes, yes. He can say those things. I I will take him at his word. Uh, Right. I will take him at his word. Of course. I I, I will tell you this, though. Like, for example, in the bill, there's $126 billion for K-12 schools. But according to the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, only about 6.2 of that only, right, is um, just 5% would be spent by October of this year. And that money, that funding, can more of it will be spent in 2026 than in 2021. That's right. So I don't know how that's supposed to help our schools and how how is that helping us deal with the ravages of COVID. But what it does show is that very, like, Barack Obama and the Democrats used to like to say, never let a crisis go to waste. Right. What they're doing is they're using this, you know, terrible crisis is an opportunity to grow and expand the size of federal government. And it's it's such an I interesting think, perversion of crisis. You would think a crisis would would mandate uh, spending the money now, not five years hence. Meanwhile, what you've seen on the border, they will not call a crisis. They seem to have a real problem with the dictionary most of us use. 
the the Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, but no. so 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 with that premise, with that in mind, that's why it's important because literally as part of the COVID Act, there is a provision that literally forbids states from using any of the COVID relief funds to quote directly or indirectly offset a reduction in net tax revenue. Um, so basically, the way you read that, and according to Joe Manchin, who was one of the key Democrats to vote for it, is that means states cannot cut taxes. And so we sent a letter, me and along with 20 of my colleagues, so 21 AGs, sent a letter to the U.S. Department of Treasury and basically said, this really can't mean that, um, right? This this can't be legal. And we got kind of a mealy-mouth response, and we know that you know even um, Secretary Yellen you know, it testified at, at one point in a very vague manner about not understanding what that means or doesn't mean. And, you know, frankly, as the AG, we can't take any chances. So we filed a lawsuit um, late last week that basically asked the court to hold that part of the COVID uh, bill as being unconstitutional. It's clearly a, we believe, you know, a violation of, you know, Congress's taxing and spending authority. We also believe it undermines the notion of you know, the, the theory of dual sovereignty, the fact that, you know, the states are a check on the federal government. And it also, um, if we allow that to, you know, stand, it would essentially, you know, create a almost a unitary um, sovereign, which is something the framers did not want. And you essentially would have all taxing authority then going through the federal government, which, of course, is a, is a big power grab. You know, it would undermine, you know, the state's ability to tax and, and spend or not spend as it pleases. I want people to understand the magnitude of this because it's it's it it, it runs the risk, and not by dint of what you said, but just as a, as a headline, it runs the risk of people not thinking too terribly deeply about some abstruse piece of tax policy. But what this actually stands for is if the federal government wins the day on this, states will not be able to regulate their own tax policy, vote on their own tax policy to raise or lower taxes and make their own decisions about their own economic growth on a going forward basis. That's what we're talking about here, an entire commandeering of state tax policy. Yes, and you exactly. You hit the magic word: the, the commandeering of state tax policy, and essentially allowing the federal government to micromanage uh, a respective uh, each respective state state budget, completely undermining the notion of you know separate sovereigns and yeah. fifty laboratories of democracy. Sure. And you know we argue. In Let's our, in stop those U hauls from California to going to Texas, right? Or st- or stopping on the way in Arizona. That's what this could mean. Texas will yeah, not be able to do, and Arizona will not be able to do what Texas and Arizona think they need to do to maintain competitive state environments. And, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. One of the great competitive advantages Arizona's always had is not only this great climate, but it's a light regulatory touch and a light tax touch. And people understood this was a place where you can, you know, start a business, start a family and grow and have that entrepreneur, you know, Barry Goldwater spirit of, you know, rugged Western individualism. And, you know, if we end up in a situation where, you know, we have high taxes and high regulation, we'll be California without the ocean. That's right. You know, and and really, I mean, it's just, it's unsustainable. But, you know, really, this, this tax mandate does, I believe, we believe, represent an unprecedented intrusion into the state sovereignty. And I and I one thing I, I do want to say, Seth, that I haven't talked about and I can talk about on your show, I know there's a lot of deep thinkers listening, is that, you know, one of the things that we argue is that it actually undermines democratic accountability of um, governors yep. in a way that violates separation of powers. Yep. And that is because, as we just talked about, you know, some of this funding 
um, isn't for, um, you know, the funds are available through 2024. So you could literally have a governor, and I'm not saying this would happen in Arizona, but other places that could literally bind a state legislature and successive governors providing any tax relief sure. in the near future sure. by, you know, doing or not doing something. So it really is a is a major intrusion by Congress on the democratic structure of the states. And so, I mean, this is, it's bad on a lot of levels, yep. philosophical levels, yep. but as you just said, too, it's bad on a practical level because it undermines one of the competitive advantages we have as Arizona. Can you do the philosophical again with me for a second? That's where you, you strum my chords, as you know. So if, if I, if, if I'm the left, I'm thinking when the outbreak of the pandemic took place, we realized there's an awful lot we want the president to do, but he doesn't have the authority to do. I mean, there was a lot of criticism that Donald Trump wasn't doing things that were literally unconstitutional for him to do. And I think Joe Biden started figuring that out after he had to had to walk back a little bit of his early statements about a federal mask mandate. They're, they're beginning to understand that, you know, states do have rights and powers and the federal government power isn't unlimited. This is a step towards, I think, ameliorating that in their favor, to be honest with you. I think they are trying to nationalize everything. And this is yet one more brick in that wall, if you'll pardon the Pink Floyd reference. That's a nice Floyd reference. I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, it's important because you're saying it's absolutely correct, because as everything continues to be federalizing, Mm -hmm. people need to understand every government that's big enough to give you everything is big enough to take it away. So as more and more power and more and more, you know, the purse strings go to Washington, that means there's less accountability and less for, uh, for us as Arizonans to have a say. And so one of the things that's interesting, think about this, just basically what you just said about the Biden and this bill is that, think about that. So they can cut you a check. The, the federal government is going to cut you a check for $1,400, but a state can't cut your taxes by $1,400. That's right. Because it's really about fundamentally controlling the distribution of wealth. That's right. And that's what's so important. It's about getting that power to the federal government. And I would argue, or I'd submit to you, Seth, is that you combine this with what they're trying to do with H.R. 1. Yep, I was going to get into that with you. Is is create a unchecked federal government where you create a permanent incumbent class that basically um, everyone becomes dependent on um, and we beg the federal government for crumbs, you know, when it comes to... I want I, I would love to do that with you, um, as well as some other questions about immigration and vaccine passports next week. If I can get you back on, if Danny can work it out, I'd love to get you in on uh, on all, the, all, all three of those topics. I'll tell you what, you give me some better bumper music, I'll see you next week. You want better than this? This is your... These are your peeps. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. I can't hear. Well, listen. Oh. I heard the Van Halen on, on the, the coming part. in with Van Halen, going out with Grateful Dead. What more could a guy want? You take you and go. you take. Uh, yes, yes, and I. Most people call me a giver. <laughs> oh, there you go, Sugar Magnolia. Thank you. Magnolia. I'm not. Ju- yes. Yeah, I'm not just one at a yes. timing here. Mark Bornovich, bless oh. you, sir. We'll talk to you soon. All right, see you, Bye. brother. Thanks. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Donald Trump may not be able to tweet, but uh, he can put out press releases that others can tweet and uh, summarize. And he's firing back. He's firing back at Doctors Fauci and Burks today, Deborah Burks. He's had quite enough of sitting in the sidelines. I think the lightest straw was an interview Dr. Fauci gave yesterday, taking responsibility for the uh, creation, development, and distribution of the COVID vaccine. 
to those of us whose memories run a little farther back than a day and who collect these things, we have, as I do in front of me, um, statement after statement throughout 2020 by Dr. Anthony Fauci um, that makes his claim risible, word of the day, risible, um, saying such things as we won't be able to have a vaccine before the end of the year. It could take three to five years to get a vaccine. A vaccine before the end of the year is not on the horizon. And now he's Mr. Take Credit for the Vaccine. Uh, Donald Trump just had about enough as, uh, of, of it as he could take. And uh, you want me to read you what he wrote? <laughs> it's unplugged Donald Trump. Based on their interviews, I felt it was time to speak up about Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks, two self-promoters trying to reinvent history to cover for their bad instincts and faulty recommendations, which I almost always overturned. <laughs> they had bad policy decisions that would have left our country open to China and other and others closed to reopening our economy and years away from an approved vaccine is what they kept telling us, putting millions of lives at risk. We developed American vaccines by an American president in record time, nine months, which is saving the entire world. We bought billions of dollars of these vaccines on a calculated bet that they would work, perhaps the most important bet in the history of the world. Fauci and Burks moved far too slowly, and if it were up to them, we'd currently be locked in our basements as our country suffered through a financial depression. Families and children in particular would be suffering the mental strains of this disaster like never before. In an interview last night on CNN, Dr. Fauci, who said he was an athlete in college but couldn't throw a baseball even close to home plate, it was a roller, tried to take credit for the vaccine when in fact he said it would take three to five years and probably longer. Dr. Fauci was incapable of pressing the FDA to move it through faster. I was the one who did. And even the fake news media reports this. Dr. Fauci is also the king of flip-flops and moving the goalposts to make himself look as good as possible. He fought me hard because he wanted to keep our country open to countries like China. I closed it against his recommendations, which saved lives. Dr. Fauci also said we didn't need to wear masks. Then a few months later, he said we needed to wear masks. And now two or three of them. Fauci spent U.S. money on the Wuhan lab in China. And we know... And we now know how that worked out. And then he takes on Sandra Burks. Uh, you get the point. Uh, I hope you get the point anyway. But it is amazing to me that Joe Biden can give the kind of talk he gave today in this atmosphere where we're supposed to be celebrating a little bit, aren't we? Some of uh, the, um, the good news from these vaccines. There is no such um, uh, imperviousness as there is imperviousness to good news by the left. 50 million Americans have been vaccinated. And boy, oh boy, if you get vaccinated, you know, make sure you're still wearing that mask. Because what did someone say? What did someone say today? Well, even if you're vaccinated, there's a small percent chance you can still get the virus. Yes, there's always a small percent chance. What? Let's say it is 5%. Dennis was talking about this. Did you hear Dennis say this? All right. So, you're vaccinated, there's a 5% chance you get the, uh, that, that, uh, that, that you still get the virus, okay? Or that the vaccine doesn't work for you. Okay, then what is the percentage of people who will get the virus of that 5% who will get sick from it? Increasingly small. 
And then of those that get sick, what will be the percentage of they who end up having serious problems or mortality? It's an increasingly ridiculous thing. And then we're told, you know, as Joe Biden said today, if you want to do weddings, if you want to do family gatherings, if you want to celebrate religious holidays, I'm begging you and I'm begging the governors to please restore the mask mandates. It's really – can you play it again? This, this, this is the biggest downer of a president since who? Gerald Ford – excuse me, Jimmy Carter giving the quote-unquote malaise speech. I'm reiterating my call for every governor, mayor, and local leader to maintain and reinstate the mask mandate. Please, this is not politics. Reinstate the mandate if you let it down. And businesses require masks as well. The failure to take this virus seriously, precisely what got us in this mess in the first place, risk more cases and more deaths. deaths. Look, as I do my part to accelerate the vaccine distribution and vaccinations, I need the American people to do their part as well. Mask up. Mask up. It's a patriotic duty. Patriotic duty. It's the only way. But celebrating the 4th of July may not be, by the way. You caught that, right? He'll let us know if we can have gatherings for the 4th of July. That's not patriotic, but wearing the mask is. They redefine everything. Keep going. Cheer together in stadiums full of fans. To gather together on holidays again safely. Go to graduations, weddings. Graduations and weddings he's going to step into. He's going to step into all of that. And I just, I'm thinking if I'm Governor Ducey, who just released the mask mandate in Arizona last week, and I heard that very strong commander-in-chief president of the United States say what he said to Doug Ducey. I'm begging you, please reinstate the mask mandate if you'd let it go down. I'm just wondering how how much quaking Governor Ducey is doing in his boots. The answer is zero. The answer is zero. And these governors that take moves for freedom rather than moves for panic are going to end up being far more heroic. I predict in the not-too-distant future, just the way the early heroes, Fauci, Cuomo, and Newsom, have been brought low over the course of time for their extraordinary and unnecessary levels of panic. You know, I say this, and I'm as convinced as I am that the sun will rise tomorrow of my position on it, on everything we've done with COVID. And there's few things I'm as convinced about in life as I am. Maybe certain things having to do with race and maybe certain things having to do with the role of America throughout history and the world. But what we've done over the course of COVID is something I am probably just as firmly convinced of. And yet there is an entire cohort of this country, probably larger than my point of view, that sees it exactly opposite. I want to talk about why that is when we come back. We will be back. I'd like your thoughts on that, too. 602-508-0960. I remember the first time I heard that song. 
and I was haunted by it then and ever since. I was in the car of my friend Jim Davis. We were in college driving to get donuts, and the year was 1988, and he had that album. It was a cassette in his car. The album, I believe, was called Daylight Again, if I'm not mistaken. And I said, we got to play that again. He goes, you're not hip to this song? I said, no. He goes, oh, yeah, we can just play it five more times right now. It's one of the greatest songs. And he was right. He was from Schenectady. He was right. That is one of the greatest songs of all time. Haunting lyrics. What? Uh, this begs the question, how did you make it to 1988 without hearing it? It's a great question. When did it come out? I have a pretty good answer. Can you tell me? I think it's the Daylight Again album. 82. All right. So very easy answer. Between 82 and 88 was my awkward stage. And I was just not of the time. So 88 to today, 1988 to today, which is how many years? 32. That 33. Past, past 33 years has been one big effort of me to catch up in life to things I missed, which is in part why I now know more about Stephen Stills and CSN and Y or The Grateful Dead or Journey or rush than I did in their heyday. Does that make sense? Is that a good answer? I think it is a good answer. I, it's, so I, the only thing I haven't done, and this bothers friends to no end, is I haven't seen the movies that were really hip between like 82 and 88. Like one that well, I've seen one or two, but there's this whole series of like teen angst movies that I totally didn't see. Everything from, like, The Outsiders to Pretty in Pink to The Breakfast Club to things like that. I've never seen and I think would be a waste of time. You can – I concur. You can skip a lot of those. They're but the music I've done a deep, they really were. But I've done a deep dive on the music of the 80s, and I think I probably am more expert on it than anything else. You didn't see that answer coming, did you? That didn't end the way you thought it would, did it? No, it did not. Like the other guys. Yeah. Lion versus Tuna. If people want to laugh hard, Google the other guy's lion versus tuna. It's Will Ferrell at his best. I got to think he's probably, probably doing a little ex-temp. I asked a pregnant or poignant question, I thought, going into the break, which was, as convinced as I am about the things I've said about our response to COVID over the last year or so, pretty close to a year now, uh, exactly, um, I'm more convinced of my position than I am very few other positions. I, you know, I'll let you know, and you'll know when I have a pretty strong opinion about something and when I'm open to being wrong. I, I, every day I am less and less open to being wrong on this issue. Is that a way to put it? And, and, and I started off pretty ardently uh, on one side here. This was very clear to me. I don't know why. It just was. Maybe because I've studied American history and American culture. I don't know where it came from. But what I do think is I'm not in the majority. I don't think most of the country agrees with me on the mitigation strategies we being we employed early on until throughout now have been a have been worse than the disease itself in in, in almost every decisive respect. I, I don't think most people do agree with me on that. But I look at the data and the science, and I think that Christy Noam and Ron DeSantis got it right, and Newsom and Cuomo got it wrong, 
and Trump, Trump got it a little right and a little wrong, and Biden has it miserably wrong. And what I don't understand or what I had the hardest time understanding is why more people couldn't see it that way or see it the way I saw it. Because something happened in this culture that, 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 won, that, that won. Something won in this culture. And it's the idea that everything is as bad as it possibly can be in this country, which is sick to begin with. The left is invested in us thinking we're a sick country and the world's about to collapse by dint of America. In the political sphere, Barry Goldwater wasn't a conservative. He was blowing up girls picking daisies with nuclear bombs. Ronald Reagan wasn't a conservative. He was blowing up kindergartens in 1984, according to a Mondale commercial. Barry McGuire's song, The Eve of Destruction, was dominant in the late 60s. But you know what was more dominant? More dominant was Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death or Live Free or Die. I thought, I thought, better dead than red. I thought something changed here and the fear mongers won. How? If you need to set like a song on your phone to have as a wake-up alarm, that is a great song for a morning alarm. That'll get you going. Lawyers, guns, and money. I wanted to talk a, bit, a little sociologically with you all about how we could go from uh, give me liberty or give me death to um, let me roll up under a bed and – Attentively and excruciatingly take exquisite instruction from an 80-year-old I've never heard of before, even as he changes his mind every other month about the most important aspects of my hiding under my bed. How did we go? How did, how did, how did that go? How did we go from, how did we go from talking about um, live free or die? How did we go from the battle hymn of the, Republic, of the Republic is he died to make men holy. We shall die to make men free, knowing they were marching to their death because freedom was important. Freedom of others was more important to the Union soldiers than their own lives. Or better, um, how did we go from better dead than red, which was a sentiment on Reagan's lips through the 80s. He said that phrase even as recently as his evil empire speech. How did we go from let's roll to let's roll up in a ball? And and I think, you know, the left has been on a campaign here for many, many years, portraying things as the worst possible thing. As I said, Barry Goldwater wasn't a conservative. He was a Nazi. He didn't have backwards foreign policy views. He was going to kill a six-year-old girl doing nothing more than picking flowers Mondale did a campaign on Reagan on that in 1984, but it's always that. Trump isn't a conservative. He's not a right-winger. He's a fascist who's worse than Hitler. Of course, they said that about Reagan and Nixon as well. It's not bad. It's not conservative. It's not too conservative. It's fascist and Hitler and Nazi. It's not real politique and rollback. It's nuclear winter. Do you remember nuclear winter? Remember Carl Sagan? Remember the day after? And then, of course, Earth in the Balance, 
and Al Gore, which we still live with and labor under. How did we how did they win? How did they win where everything is the most extreme form of dark ending and it's within our sights? How did how did we get to that? What did Rachel Walensky say today? Play Rachel Walensky. Here's your CDC director using some nice, tender, gentle language. Hospitalizations have also increased. The most recent seven-day average, about 4,800 admissions per day, is up from 4,600 admissions per day in the prior seven-day period. And deaths, which typically lag behind cases and hospitalizations, have now started to rise increasing nearly 3% to a seven-day average of approximately 1,000 deaths per day. When I first started at CDC about two months ago, I made a promise to you. I would tell you the truth, even if it was not the news we wanted to hear. Now is one of those times when I have to share the truth, and I have to hope and trust you will listen. I'm going to pause here. I'm going to lose the script. And I'm going to reflect on the recurring feeling I have of impending doom. Impending doom. Impending doom. Now, if you watch that video, which I urge you to do, as Bill pointed out to me, the last thing she does is pause the script. After the impending doom line, she is just reading a script. Anyway, Lisa is in Phoenix. How did we get here, Lisa? Oh, gosh. You know, I'm sorry. I'm not entirely prepared to answer that question, but I think it's all the things you mentioned. I think it has been a slow process. I think somehow in the past, I don't know, decade, two, we've got, we have gotten involved in safetyism. Yeah. It's been kind of a slow situation. Um, something as little as, you know, changing uh, the playground equipment. Yeah. We don't have those things that used to go around and used to be so scared if they were going so fast and somebody was going to get on and really make it go. We don't do any of that. We don't do dodgeball. We you know, those are just little things. Um, is dodgeball done? I is am... that long over? Is there no more dodgeball? <laughs> I don't know. I wow. think they're long grown up. Wow. But I don't think there is because it's targeting and yeah. that sort of stuff. Sure. But I have to tell you that I am shocked. Everywhere I go where I can get away without wearing a mask because I've had COVID. And according to uh, preeminent doctors that I listen to, I have complete and durable immunity. I am not going to lie to myself. I'm not wearing a mask if I don't have to. There are certain places you cannot shop if you don't have a mask on. But what shocks me, Seth, is that, okay, if you're in a store, wouldn't you think about 50% of those people would be Republicans or conservatives? You know, if you would just. I would assume in Arizona it's probably close to 50%. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm the only one in the store without a mask. And I am not joking. I don't see one other person. I look in people's faces and I think I can't tell. But you know what? You know what I think it is? Fear. Fear is a powerful, powerful. But what um, what scares me about that point about fear, and I don't mean to be tautological here, but what frightens me about fear as a motivating political factor is that it's the first precursor to every tyranny that ever arose, instilling fear. Yes. I mean, I'm very worried about people going around thinking we are a sick society because the left has wanted to impose that dark veil of our own point of view about ourselves as just that. 
The animus against Reagan and Trump was no greater than when they spoke brightly and shiningly and lovingly and beautifully about the strength and greatness of America. That's what irked them to no end beyond anything else. Yeah. I, I, they want us down. Yeah. Very concerned. You don't want a good friend who wants you down, right? You don't want a friend who wants you down. The left is not your friend. It's not this country's friend. Lisa, that's a great call. Thank you for your thoughts. Thanks, Paul. Bless you. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If you missed my monologue on race and crime and America and the left, uh, I urge you to go back to it. You can get it on YouTube. Just put in 960 The Patriot. It's free. It's the kind of stuff that moves me, I think, more than anything else, and I hope uh, was a valid contribution to our goings-on today. I closed with a quote from Shakespeare in my monologue from The Merchant of Venice about how every human being is a human being and equal for various reasons. We get the same illnesses, we bleed the same blood, that sort of thing. And it reminded me of who else got this notion of equality, who else as a target of the woke understood how you understand what the founders were doing, even in a day and age when we don't have them with us anymore? And Lincoln said it was really not that hard. We have in our country people who are not descendants of our founders. They, and they are men and women who have come from Europe, German, Irish, French, Scandinavian, men that have come from Europe themselves or whose ancestors have come hither and settled here, finding themselves are equal in all things. If they look back through this history to trace their connection with those days of 1776 by blood, they find they have none. They cannot carry themselves back into that glorious epoch and make themselves feel that they are part of us. But when they look through that old Declaration of Independence, they find that those old men say that we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, and then they feel that moral sentiment taught in that day evidences their relation to those men, that it is the father of all moral principle in them, and they have a right to claim it as though they were blood of the blood and flesh of the flesh of the men who wrote the Declaration. That is the electric cord that links the hearts of patriotic and liberty-loving men together. That's how we still share their blood. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. I'm Seth Liebson, class dismissed.